0: Bible open up to James chapter 1 James chapter 1 we are continuing this morning our series through the book of James and so um, if you're uh, if you've been convicted so far just buckle up because it gets worse and uh, sometimes folks will say to me preacher my goodness what yeah, that was such a convicting sermon my goodness what you know I know that was a uh, that, that was hard on us this morning. I said, can you imagine spending all week with that thing like I had to do, you know? And, uh, and I'm just getting smote by the Lord all week in study. So the, the book of James is such a, a powerful and convicting book, and um, we we'd do well to heed the words of, of James. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and I do want to say a word as, as we prepare to stand and read the word together of just how much you all mean to me you guys have been so wonderful in the midst of a hard situation i i heard a pastor this week uh saying that people had left his church they his state had a, a statewide mask mandate and people left his church because they asked him to wear masks to church and uh i i just said i didn't say anything because you don't want to be that guy it's like well my church is wonderful you know um, but man, my church is wonderful. I love you all so much, and I love the graciousness and love with which you've handled such difficult situations and, and the patience that you've had. And um, man, it just means a lot to me. And uh, we can't be together like we want to be together right now, but I just want you to know how much uh, it means to me just to have a church that loves one another and loves their pastor. And so God's, God's been so good to give you to me as a shepherd, I, I, I get to be your shepherd, and it means, uh, it's one of, the, one of the great honors of my life. And so, I just just thought I'd say it, but I'd rather say it than not say it. So, anyway, James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 27. Uh, if you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of, reading, out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And therefore put away all filthiness, And at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we ask you, if you would, please move in our hearts today. And God, let us not be practicers of worthless religion, but instead, Father, we pray that the gospel would transform us in such a way that we are living and doing the word which we hear and which we've received It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Y'all may not have heard the term cage stage before. I don't know if y'all have ever heard the term cage stage. Some of y'all probably have and heard of people that are cage stage. It's a a term that you hear a lot uh, when you're doing theological studies. When I was in college, when I was in seminary, you would hear about cage stage folks sometimes. And what it means is you hear about someone whose convictions on a certain issue or a certain topic have recently changed. And people say they're in the cage stage because they're so passionate and almost angry about this change in conviction that they need to be put in a cage for a while to calm down, caged up for a little bit. And we know cage stagers in all sorts of walks of life. Uh, I would, if you want to know um, about people that are in a cage stage, just go scroll through Facebook later today, and you'll encounter all sorts of folks that might just need to be put in a cage for a couple weeks just to calm down. Just, it'll be okay. I, I say a lot that convictions are like hormones. Um, they're very important in the long run. They serve you very well in the long run, but they do come on strong early. And uh, many of you uh, are parents of teenagers, and you know exactly what I mean by cage stage and how we deal with convictions. However, here, most of us are not in the cage stage. Most of us are not too passionate. Uh, Most of us don't need to be locked up. Some of us need to be prodded along, don't we? Some of us, they open the cage and we just yawn. roll back over. Maybe you're not in the cage stage. Maybe you're in the lazy phase of Christianity. We know, we know, we know. We've heard that verse. We've read that book. We've seen it come and go. We've heard it all We've seen it all. Perhaps some of us, and we're all there at different times in our life, perhaps some of us are in just something of a rut in our spiritual lives. We're just kind of stuck on a rail. James will jar the complacent Christian. He he will jar the complacent Christian out of complacency, and he confronts us with this question, not just here in this passage, but throughout this Uh, book of James he confronts the complacent Christian with all that grace that you've received with all that you know with all that you've heard with all that you've seen what are you going to do now you've experienced Jesus what are you going to do about it you've received the word what are you going to do about it you know we all know this everybody likes to talk religion but it's the walking that's hard Everybody likes to talk about what they believe or how they see the Lord. Everybody's got these kind of Ricky Bobby moments. You know, I like to see Jesus as this or that. It's one thing to think you're religious, but it's another thing to have been transformed by the gospel. It's one thing to talk religion. It's another thing altogether to walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, James is contrasting for us the sort of religion that we can make for ourselves versus the kind of religion that God gives us by His grace. There's a religion which we receive through the implanted word by receiving the gospel, and we receive it with meekness and humbleness, and it grows us into Christ likeness. and then there's that other sort of religion which we make for ourselves. It's man-centered. It's about what we can do. It's about what we can achieve. Grace-given religion, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what what God gave us in the gospel of His Son results in faith-fueled action. Then Think about that. Grace-given religion results in faith-fueled. Fueled action. Some people will uh, damage the message of James, just like they'll damage the message of the Sermon on the Mount. And they'll say, well, the Bible says salvation is all by grace, but then you read some of these other books and and people will damage the message and say, but really, what it's really about is doing what you ought to do. That's not James's message at all. In fact, here he is excoriating the sort of religion that's self-centered and self-made. He's showing the way that grace goes to work in our lives. This morning, I want to just give you three truths that I think will help you evaluate your religion. I hope you're you're not like REM. I hope you're not losing your religion. I hope you're still practicing it. But I want you to evaluate your religion this morning and ask yourself, is it man-made, worthless religion, or is it faith-fueled gospel transformation? Three, Three questions this morning to help you evaluate your religious life, your walk with the Lord. Here's the first. Worthless religion is prone to anger. Worthless religion is prone to anger. This is what the Bible says. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every, oh, I'm sorry. I, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You've noticed this, just like I've noticed this. We live in an angry society. Have y'all noticed this? I've been at the grocery store a, few time, a couple times this week, and uh, every time I go to the grocery store, just let me encourage you right now in a tough season to make this your habit. Every time I go to the grocery store, I make it a habit to say something to the people who are working there, and I say, thank you for being here. Th- thanks for being here and working today. I, I would imagine, and I'll say something like, I bet I bet you've had some folks that weren't very nice, haven't you? And, and I've yet to have anybody say, you know, it's just been perfectly pleasant today. People really seem to enjoy not paying with cash. Today or whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever it is that that we're angry about today. People, people really seem to be enjoying wearing masks in the 96 degree heat today. And so they've just been so thrilled to see me. Of course not. But I think if you turn on the TV any day, the reality is our society is sort of designed right now, unfortunately, to make us and keep us angry frustrated. Not all anger is sinful, we know that from the scriptures, but the reality is that this particular text is talking about a sort of impetuous, sort of fast anger, a man-centered anger, a sort of rage that's just right underneath the surface at all times. And this is a verse I had on my uh, bathroom mirror at one point in my life, when I've had to put to memory and remember with all my heart, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Many of us who are Bible-believing Christians, we look out and we see things that frustrate us in the world. And we decide we're angry about it. And we think, if, if, if something's going to be done about this, I better get mad about it. And that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that is not what the scripture teaches. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we become like Moses who saw a great injustice. And what did Moses do? He decided to try to fight the Lord's battles for him. And he struck down an Egyptian when it was the Lord's job to handle vengeance. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And yet so often we are tempted to think that it does. And yet what the scripture here teaches us is that though we may be tempted to be angry, the reality is that we, when we are constantly angry, when we are constantly trying to use anger to bring about the righteousness of God, when we are regularly being slow to listen, the Bible says, be quick to hear. We, don't, we very often struggle to listen to one another. To actually hear what somebody else is saying. To actually listen to the words that are coming out of their mouth. To actually try to understand. I've said over and over and over again, one of the things I think that's lacking in the world today, almost more than anything else for us as a society, is the practice of empathy. Trying to think through, why would they feel this way? I may disagree, but I want to at least understand why they think this way. We must be quick to hear. But if we find ourselves slow to hear but fast to speak always trying to be heard always quickly getting angry and not being steadfast and not being long-suffering and always jumping out in anger really quickly we start to realize that maybe our religion doesn't match up with the religion of the Lord quite like we think it does maybe we're so focused on ourselves and that's why we're so angry all the time it's because we are being told by our own soul and our own heart that we are the center of the universe. Now, Whitney would say that I am not great at this. Years ago, I can remember saying, if God is sovereign, there's no such thing as hassle. And, and I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've had that quote of myself quoted back to me by my wife. <laughs> if God is sovereign, there's no such thing is hassle but we tend to be frustrated and see ourselves right what what does that little sentence mean? What am I saying when I say that? what I'm saying is if God is the center of the universe and you're not, then whatever comes your way is a good and perfect gift from the Lord. It's something He is sending your way. It's something He's using to make you. And so no matter what sort of hassle or frustration you're experiencing, God will use it. He won't waste it. God will use it to transform you. And so rather than being angry and frustrated and lashing out and rage-filled all the time, instead we have to fight that sort of rage. We have to fight that worthless religion by putting away, the Bible says in verse 21, all filthiness and rampant wickedness and we must receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls anger can lead you to use filthy speech anger can lead you to do wicked things anger is often a source and a symptom of pridefulness and self-centeredness Instead, hear what the Word says. We must receive with meekness the implanted Word, that is, the Word of God that's been written on our hearts by the Spirit of Christ through our acceptance of the gospel by faith. We must receive this with meekness and be transformed from the inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put Put away anger, my friends, and embrace the peace that Christ can give. Second of all, not only... Is worthless religion prone to anger? But second of all, worthless religion is puffed up. Worthless religion is puffed up. But be, the Bible says, doers of the word and not hearers only. What? Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Knowledge puffs up, Paul told us, but love builds up. And this is one of the great hallmarks, I would say, of worthless religion, of man-centered religion. It becomes satisfied in what it knows. Well, worthless religion becomes satisfied with what it knows. Now, this is a real temptation for church people, isn't it? It's a temptation for me, and I think everyone here knows. have been your pastor now for eight years. You know I love to go deep in the Word to go deep on Sunday morning, love to go deep on Wednesday night. I want you to have a deeper root system rooted in God's Word. I want you to have a broader view of God because I want you to behold His glory. But the reality is what we must always remember, we go deep in the Word and we understand the Word better and we dig into the Bible in order that we might know and love God more. And to know God more and to love God more necessarily produces faith. Fueled good works. To know God and to love God results in us doing something. i ask you a question today. This is a, this is a hard question to ask. How much glorious truth, I mean, how many wonderful things, how much of God's word have you hid in your heart? How much glorious truth do you have in the storehouse's of your heart that's yet to be put to work? How how many of your talents of God's Word have you taken and hidden in the ground? How, How many times have you taken truth and gone home and said, wow, that's such a beautiful truth, that's so wonderful, and then you sit down and you don't do anything with it? Think about it. Worthless religion puffs us up. We become prideful. I see it all the time in fellow pastors and in my own heart where we are so self-satisfied with being doctrinally right that we are not so worried about being doctrinally useful to the kingdom. We're not so worried always about applying what it is we've learned. And I will tell you something else somebody who believes that they are doctrinally right will justify almost anything else so long as they still believe they are doctrinally right mere pure knowledge apart from knowledge apart from applying it in the way that God wants us to apply it will almost always result in self-centered puffed up pride And it will keep us from seeing what God has for us, the best God has for us. It keeps us from actually having the Word implanted in our hearts. It takes meekness for that. But when we're so puffed up and so convinced we already know everything, it's hard for us to put the Word to work. Never, ever, ever, my friends, never waste the Word. Fight the temptation to be puffed up by applying the Word. The Word is meant to transform you and lead you to action. Now, I want to I warn against a, a, a temptation here, which is to say that we should always be doing and never simply receiving. That, that we should always be doing and never just, just resorting in worshiping God and loving God more and delighting in God. And that is not the case at all. Often the action that the Word should lead you to is something as simple and wonderful and glorious as worship. Don't don't think for a moment that worshiping God is not a good application for the Word. If you were to go back and analyze all my sermon points over the years, if you ever want to know if I'm lost on how to apply a passage, you'll almost always notice that I say, worship God because of this. Because if you don't know what else to do with the Word, use it as fuel for worship. You see something glorious in every verse, use it to worship God more. You'll never waste time worshiping. Sometimes all the work we need to do is heart work. Sometimes it means being transformed in our attitudes, not just our actions. But nonetheless, it's sometimes something that takes even greater faith. So often, as we hear this glorious gospel, perhaps we're being pressed to a greater faith and a greater service and a deeper action or or something that we don't want to do, but we know the Lord's calling us to do it. Either way, we are called at some point to put the Word to work. Not just to be puffed up with knowledge, but to be doers of the Word. That leads us to our last point, and it's this. Worthless religion is deceptive. Worthless religion is deceptive. And listen, even those of us who have faith in Jesus, many of us still have some tendencies. We're still working out our sanctification. We still have some tendencies toward practicing what the Bible calls worthless religion, these sorts of things that aren't really rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all along, as I've preached this message, some of you have been convicted, and yet what you keep telling yourself is that, oh, right, I know I'm convicted about this, I'm sure, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. Or, yeah, maybe I could do a little better, but it's pretty impressive how much of the Bible I do know. Or perhaps the Spirit is leading you to take a step out on faith, and you say, well, this preacher has gone to Medlin today, and he's preaching this text, and he doesn't know how much I already do. And that's true, I don't. But I do know this, that what the Bible is making abundantly clear here is that one hallmark of worthless religion is that it's deceptive. It convinces you that whatever it is you think you're doing, that is what's right before God. It convinces you that whatever it is that you're doing is all that God Requires It can deceive your heart. You see it in verse 22. If you're hearers only, you deceive yourselves. And then again in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, everyone thinks at some level or another they are religious by, in one, from one degree to another. Even those who claim no religion, they're really saying that's the sort of religious person I am. Anyone who thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is is worthless. In other words, if you say that the Holy Spirit's got control of your heart, but not control of your tongue, then what you're saying is that you are practicing worthless religion. You see, worthless religion whispers in your ear that yours is the sort of religion that's right and proper in this world. I am the sort of person that others ought to be like. Why should I have to bridle my tongue? Why ought I to shut my mouth? I'm one of the few that's actually right in this world. If people like me shut up, who's going to speak for the Lord? Have you ever thought for a moment that maybe the Lord can speak for the Lord? Maybe the Lord's already spoken in His Word. The Scripture says that you are really deceiving yourself. When your religion externally doesn't match up with what you claim, you say, you believe. So my friends, we must fight the lie of our heart with love. We must fight the lie of our heart with love. What does he say? Deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. In verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, a holiness before God is required if we are to actually be transformed by the gospel. And on top of that, the sort of action that demonstrates tangible love is there. Fight the lie with love. Fight the lie by loving a widow. I don't think these are the only ways we practice authentic religion. I think you see them all throughout the New Testament. But it does demonstrate really clearly here in James that there's some level of action, activism, if you will, something that needs to be done to prove our our religion, to demonstrate that the, the Spirit is really at work in our hearts. He gives two examples, widows and orphans, loving those who in this point in time especially and even in this day and age, often don't have the ability to care for themselves. Loving those who are weak, those who are challenged, standing up on behalf of those people. Christians ought to practically demonstrate their love for those who need it most. That doesn't just mean widows and orphans. In some contexts, widows are very well taken care of, or perhaps you live somewhere where there are no orphans. But we ought to look to these two categories as a church. But on top of that, we ought to think through, okay, why is James highlighting these who are weak, these who are struggling, and how can we have the same sort of love for those around us in this life? You see, my friends, no matter what stage of your walk you're in, whether you're in the cage stage or the lazy phase or whatever, something in between, We must always remember to never waste the word. We must always remember to put our faith to work. We must always remember, we must always bear in mind that we must fight the lie of worthless religion with love. Love for God by keeping ourselves unstained from the world. Love for the Lord's church. And finally, love for others. Love for our neighbors by demonstrating the love to those around us. My hope and my prayer for each and every one of us is that we will see and demonstrate with our lives the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ transform transforms worthless man-made religion. I want to offer an invitation this morning. Here's the The first thing I I want to say, even though the altar is not open, uh, I've said for years, uh, the Lord is just as capable of working there as he is here. This is not a sacred space. It's a special place. We're glad to be here. But this is not a place where it's the only place God can work. He can work right there in the pew. And perhaps this morning, you're a Christian and you say, Pastor, I have some repenting to do. I need to move on from some tendencies in my life I have that show the way I'm trusting myself and not the Lord. I want you to take a few moments now to ask the Lord to move in your heart. Second of all, you may be an unbeliever. You may say, I've not trusted in Jesus yet. This morning, you take a few moments to do business with the Lord as you reflect there in the pew, and I'd be happy to talk to you afterward. I'll make sure we stay safe. We'll be really careful, but I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to follow Jesus by faith. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love for you to consider what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church, and I'd love to talk to you about that after the service as well. After this prayer, I want to invite you to reflect where you're sitting. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you today. And Lord, it's my prayer that we will never waste the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.